You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. Discussions of an adult nature, adult language, and spoilers for the films discussed are most likely. Still on board? Come on in. Enjoy your stay. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back. It is episode 114 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, and I am your host, Lee. Well, no sandwiches for him, Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. This isn't just another disco drug deal, Harper. How you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well, and uh, it, indeed it is not. Indeed mm. it is not. <laughs> so we're um, moving into a foray of uh, sort of oddball sci-fi films, mostly from the 80s. I think we've also decided we might peek into some uh, stuff from the 90s as well. And these are going to be sort of more off-kilter sci-fi stuff, I think, for the most part. I, I actually have a feeling this could be in danger of running as long as our uh, noir series did. <laughs> oh, I, as, much as, as much as I enjoyed noir series and as much as I would enjoy kind of doing these for a while, let's try not to push it quite that hard. But uh, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, th- I think we could do, do this for a while. This is, uh, these are... These are not just uh, kind of fun to watch, but they're fun to talk about, which I think is is kind of the key. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But we do have a, a list of films. And uh, if you like this episode, we're always down for uh, recommendations for films. Right. You know, there are a ton of these. I certainly haven't seen them all. So, mm. so what we're going to be covering uh, in this episode is Radioactive Dreams and Cherry 2000. But before we get into that... We do have one comment from last week, and uh, this is from Mike Murphy from Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts, who we're soon going to be guesting on uh, his podcast in February. He says, an excellent episode, guys. I jotted down a couple of films to add to my list while listening. For the record, Daniel Harper is 100% correct in regards to the second galaxy picture. Man does a drag in the in the second half. This is Guardians of the Galaxy he's talking about. It's also guilty of too much CGI. I get this sort of movie requires CGI, but fuck, this one bleeds CGI at the end. And have you noticed that every Marvel film that comes out now is over two hours long? Is that really needed? No, I don't think so. And he says, sorry I didn't send in a list. Why? Well, we're doing our best of this week, and I didn't want to spoil or give away that early. Uh, Fair enough. Um, Although I will say, I think uh, Doctor Strange was actually under two hours. So... Yeah, and that's one of the better ones of the the last few years. Um, although yeah. I think that one kind of suffers because, uh, I mean, if Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two suffers from you know kind of having this extended climax that goes on just a bit too long, uh, Doctor Strange really. I mean, I don't like that movie's first thirty minutes. It's once he's sort of training and you know he, mm-hmm. he kind of lengthens up a bit and you you sort of get more of a character. He's such a I mean, he's such a righteous prick at the beginning. Yeah. And even more so, that, like, not, not even in like a fun or entertaining way. He's just a righteous prick in ways that, like, you, I, I really don't feel like we needed that necessarily Come, to like, comes sort off, of justify the character. He, he comes off as the non alcoholic Tony Stark kind of, like, right. you know, so, so he's, so you might be an asshole, but he's not a fun asshole. Right. 
Right. I mean, it's just, it's sort of the worst parts of Iron Man 2, you know, <laughs> or the beginning yeah. of Doctor Strange. I actually rewatched, uh, my wife was, it, it's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is on uh, Netflix now. My wife was watching it and I kind of sat down and it bothered me less sort of watching it casually on my television as opposed to sort of the theatrical experience where I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, when you say like too much CGI, that's usually like a. I have an issue with the way the the CGI is used. You know, right? It's, you know, and and you know, the movie is too long. It's usually sort of like, well, it's too long for what reason? Or you know, that there's something. You know, it's sort of. You know, I'm not. You know, this isn't against Mike. I, th- I mean, I think that's a valid criticism, but it's usually like I'm unable or I haven't really thought about the way to articulate the actual issue I'm having here, right? And I think that the real issue with Guardians 2 is just that the, the main plot line, the, the sort of the, the daddy plot line, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of just isn't all that interesting. I mean, Kurt right. Russell is, is good, and the but the, the other stuff in the film is way better than, you know, sort of that kind of main through line. And since that main through line isn't all that compelling, it doesn't really quite... The ending of the film kind of relies so heavily on it that we just kind of don't follow it in quite the same way, right. you know? I feel like, I mean the idea of like, you know, my dad is a God really should not be something you sort of shoehorn into the second movie. In a, in a yeah. Trilogy. Maybe this deserved, you know, either to not be here or it deserves a little bit more time, or maybe it'd be really funny if he's like, Oh, dad's a God. Oh, fuck that shit. And just killed him immediately. You know, that would be, <laughs> the, you know, let's not do the, like, we're going to play catch with, you know, giant energy balls of light kind of, you know, plot line. It, 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 it it feels like uh, I don't I don't know how they have this planned out. I mean I know Marvel has pretty much everything set in stone for their plans for all their phases and shit. But I mean it's it's pretty obvious there's probably going to be a third Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and maybe that's sort of tying in with the Infinity War or whatever stuff. Well, so we know we know that the Guardians are going to show up in the Infinity War right movie because originally it was going to be Infinity War Part One and Part Two, right? Mm-hmm. And then. They've sort of. It seems like they've they've adjusted that. And like Infinity War is one thing. Apparently, Infinity War like changes everything, and then we're gonna like get dramatically different kinds of movies starting with Infinity War Part Two, whatever they're yeah. calling that now. So it sounds like they're really kind of working in the direction of sort of basically getting rid of some of the like changing up the core cast a little bit and kind of, yeah. kind of mixing things up. Um, because uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. is not going to live forever, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of contracted out for all this shit he's got to do. I mean, you know, he's been making these for 10 years. It's time. You know, we don't need yeah. Robert Jr. in these anymore. Um, um, but, yeah, I was just thinking it felt like that sort of daddy plot line, that was something that should have been like an overarching storyline for like three Guardians of the Galaxy films instead of just sort of becoming the big major thing in the second one. So they just kind of it felt it kind of felt like the same problem Spider Man three had back in the day where they rushed a yeah. bunch of different plots into one film, but uh, I know how much Mike Murphy hates us talking about superhero films, although he brought it up this time. So <laughs> the real lesson is don't talk about the Marvel movies on a movie podcast, and uh, yeah. So I like to talk about the Marvel movies as often as possible because I think it is a legitimately sort of interesting franchise. Um, They're doing some weird shit with that franchise. Yeah, yeah. But there you go. Uh, Thanks for the comment, Mike. And We are uh, no longer invited to be on his show. Yeah, (laughs) we've just been kicked off. They can find two other schlubs to fucking fill in the spot for the Zodiac killer. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, moving on, we'll uh, talk about what we've watched in the last little while. So uh, I know you have a couple things there, Dan, so I'll let you go first. Sure, and uh, both of these are from the 80s. I watched the uh, Dario Argento film Phenomena, uh, which mm-hmm. I think was released in the U.S. as uh, The Crawlies or The Creepies or something like that. Uh, 
uh, Creepers. Creepers, Creepers. I I mean, this was just on Amazon Prime. It was one of the free, like, if you have Amazon Prime, you can just watch this sort of thing. And I was just flipping through the movies, and uh, my wife looked up and went, oh, is that Jennifer Connelly? And I hadn't even twigged to, like, oh, that's Jennifer Connelly? It can't be. Clicked down, like, wow, holy shit, this is Jennifer Connelly. We're watching it. Done. This is a film that, uh, as much as I'm kind of laughing at myself, because uh, one of the issues is that this is a little bit too long. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it is. Which is to say, it's very deliberately paced and in ways that don't necessarily go anywhere or do anything, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You could easily cut 30 minutes from the sort of first half of this film and, you know, really not affect the the overall experience of watching it in any way. Other than that, I actually pretty much enjoyed it. Um, Jennifer Connelly's good in it. It's kind of a supernatural girl plot that then... It kind of becomes horror movie at the end. I assume you've seen the film. Um, yeah, it's it's essentially like a mashup of the two sort of big genres that Argento always sort of works in. So it, it's kind of a mashup of giallo murder mystery kind of stuff, that sort mm-hmm. of aesthetic. And then it's got the supernatural, almost carry kind of plot to it and where you know she's telekinetically linked to insects and stuff like right. that where she can control them, right? And then it's got Donald Pleasance and a monkey for some reason as yeah. well. Just... <laughs> my, my wife completely missed the monkey at the beginning. And then mm-hmm. when the monkey starts showing up towards the middle and end, she's like, what the fuck is going on with this monkey? Oh, well, that, that, must, have been a, that must have been an experience then if she yeah, had it was, it was. I mean she was like playing on her phone and kind of like not really watching it all that I mean you know I will say that I have a pretty strong stomach and there is one moment in this film that I was very nearly retching at um which take that for take that as what you will for uh you know what uh, whether whether uh, that's a recommendation or not um and it comes uh, very much towards the end and it involves um a whole lot of water oh yeah okay and uh, I won't spoil it for the listeners, but um, I'm sure you know exactly which mm-hmm. moment yeah, I'm sure. referring to. And um, yeah, so uh, otherwise, a uh, pretty decent flick. Uh, I don't know that I have anything more to say about it. I mean, if we were going to review it, I could probably do a you know kind of a yeah. more in depth dive on it. Um, the other thing I watched was uh, one that I had been uh, kind of been on my long list to watch for many years now, and I just never saw, and that's uh, FX. Okay. Um, this is yeah. uh, the mid '80s film where a uh, F- you know a special effects artist gets hired by people <laughs> he believes to be, uh, you know, witness protection to uh, fake a, fake a killing, and then you know he gets involved in this plot. Um, it's just very you know sort of very '80s um, you know kind of comedy of errors action movie um, during big parts of it. This is it's a really clever little film um, that I think people aren't necessarily as familiar with as 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 I'd like them to be, you know, just because um, it is one that I had, uh, you know, I kind of knew it by reputation for a lot of years and just had never seen it. You know, the ending kind of just doesn't quite work the way I I'd like it to just because, uh, yeah, this guy ends up murdering a whole lot of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this kind of gets away with it. And apparently there's a sequel. Brian Dennehy is in this. He's quite Mm -hmm. good. And uh, overall, just a, just an effective little fun movie. And again, if you've got Amazon prime, you can watch it, you know, you can just sit and watch it. So enjoy. Yeah, not only was there a sequel, I think there was a TV series as well. Was like, in the, well. like in the 90s where all these popular 80s franchises sort of get resurrected as TV series, like Highlander <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, that's, that sounds familiar now, like FX the series. I mean, I can imagine this is sort of, I don't know, it's sort of, it's almost too clever to be a movie, right? It's almost yeah. like, oh, and then they have to use special effects wizardry in order to solve crimes, you know? Um, uh, it's sort of works more as a sort of cheesy TV series, you know, that you'd see yeah, kind of gimmicky, like, like film. Yeah. yeah. 
like Mac- but, MacGyver or some shit, you know, like a USA Network kind of thing today, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing to look back at the uh, you know sort of the effects work of the of the uh, mid '80s and kind of go, yeah, no, that all kind of makes sense. Like the movies that the props that he has in in his little studio apartment look like stuff that might have actually come out of a movie made around that time. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like the parody version that they always do for these things. It looks right. like I worked on, you know, Death Gasm 3 or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I made the prop. It was good. Um, no, I was kind of, I was kind of watching it and just kind of imagining like it's, it's, uh, it is this kind of era that's lost. Like now they just do all that with CGI. You know, whether yeah. it's, you know, for better or for worse, I think that there are positives and negatives to that. But the idea that a sort of generic special effects guy would just have this whole bag of tricks that he could just kind of pull out and use in various situations. It just doesn't ring true anymore. You know, they're all mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, software development guys, basically. You know? Yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of a rewrite of the James or inversion of the James Bond thing, where Q is the hero instead of the spy master. Right. You know, right. I only have one thing to mention. Uh, I just recently watched it's uh, Wind River from uh, 2017. It's a Taylor Sheridan film. He did the he wrote and directed this one. He wrote um, Hell or High Water, which I really love. 2016 was on my best of list. This is a movie starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. So the good Olsen twin, or actually not the twin, just the other sister, you know, <laughs> the respectable one. And each birth in that family has X amount of talent. <laughs> the problem is that the twins got it divided by two. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I think they just lost some of it in birth as well. But yeah, and I mean, Jeremy Renner, who I actually like more and more every time I see him and, and stuff. It's, it's kind of weird. I, I always had this sort of feeling that he was cast as a pretty boy early on, but he's an ugly motherfucker. He actually, he's actually kind of an ugly dude. And in this kind of a handsome ugly, if that makes sense, kind mm-hmm. of like Daniel Craig where, you know, everyone goes, oh, Daniel Craig's such a sex symbol. But if you look at that guy, he's, he's not a traditionally handsome guy by any sort of means as far as I'm concerned. But um, anyway, enough of that nonsense. But um, <laughs> it's a murder mystery that's uh, set on an Indian reservation. And one of the things that really stuck with me in this uh, is it's, it's sort of a neo-Western in the way it's presented. And it treats the Indians actually as people. You know, uh, with real lives, you know, it, it doesn't whitewash the actual problems on the reservation. But it, it, at the same time, it's not necessarily going too deep into those societal problems. It's much more just kind of a let's actually build a realistic world around these characters in this situation. It actually makes sense. And it's not just, you know, background nonsense. Oh, look at look at the, the poor Indians in squalor. You know, they must be on an Indian res- reservation. No, there's a, it actually deals with the day to day lives and stuff there. And. It's a really effective kind of old-fashioned uh, Western kind of idea in it, and Jeremy Renner's just really good. Like, he just acts circles around people with this sort of minimalist acting, and um, he's basically a wildlife and games guy who, who works on the reservation, but he gets... Uh, he gets brought into the murder investigation because he lives there and knows the people. And Elizabeth Olsen is the, the closest FBI agent brought in to, to help investigate or whatever. And mm-hmm. she's just this rookie and uh, FBI agent from Las Vegas who's flown into this place or whatever. And she doesn't know the people. She doesn't know how things work there. So she gets him to help do tracking because it's during the winter time. So there's all these winter tracks and everything. And it's just really effectively done. I, I think maybe it misses out dramatically here and there in some parts. Like I think it gives up too much of the, uh, the background of the, of the victim. It, it shows flashbacks that no characters actually have. It just takes you back to those sort of uh, moments near the end mm-hmm. of the film to show what led up to the events of the murder. 
So I don't really like the way that was brought into it, but I understand why they did it at the same time because they wanted to make the, the victim more three-dimensional or whatever. But yeah, overall, really great movie. It's already early on my best of first-time watches for this year. So Awesome. Sounds, cool. sounds good. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll uh, start talking about movies. You ungodly warlock. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses all things Grindhouse, Exploitation, Drive-In, and B-Movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Renee Martinez-directed picture, the $6,000. What? Time, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. Super Soul that's, Brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. Your DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that that's comes up says. is the title, and it says $6,000. Mark. And I've been around a girl stroking a horse's dick. Somehow, somewhere down the line, I'm going to use that clip against you. Shh. <laughs> Please do. And listener favorite, Iris. The deployment sock. And I'm like, deployment sock? What the fuck is a deployment sock? He goes, you know, you know that sock that you just use? Oh my god, you guys are so gross. <laughs> See, so it happens for real. People do come inside. We'll make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop Sunday and can be found by searching for BB and BC Podcast via iTunes, Lipson, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at bbnbcpodcast.com. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host, Duncan McLeish, and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old-school horror favourites, as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms. 
to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. You ungodly warlock! Okay, first movie up is Radioactive Dreams from 1985, and there's no trailer. Well, there are trailers, but uh, they're all in uh, Spanish and German, and we'll get into why that is uh, eventually here as we talk about it, but um, it is directed by Albert Pune, who is probably best known for doing the first Cyborg movie for, for canon. He also, before this, he did Sword and the Sorcerer, which is also really good. And he directed the first ill-fated Captain America movie in the 90s. <laughs> and, and he has a ton of other credits as well. Um, he's got a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, I was, I was looking through this list of movies, and I'm like, this is a list of things we need to cover at some point, you know? Mm. Um, we could we could do a whole series on these just because, I mean, just on title and sort of summary alone. You know, he's got the Kathy Ireland film, Alien from L.A. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I mean, Cyborg, we got, I mean, we've got to do Cyborg at some point. And yeah. the, the sequel, Cyborg 2, which I thought was him, but I think he did Kickboxer 2. So I just had the Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> sort of, uh, connection there. But uh, yeah, no, um, I was looking at that and going, like, yeah, we've got to do a bunch of these films at some point. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we got uh, starring John Stockwell as Philip Chandler. Uh, he, I think you'll see where some of the elements of these, this film is going when you hear the names here. But uh, John Stockwell's Philip Chandler, and actually he's from My Science Project. That's where I remember him from. He's, yep. he's the lead in that. Michael Dudikoff, American Ninja himself, as uh, Marlo Hammer, way back before he became an action star. Uh, this is a geeky version of Michael Dudikoff. Um <laughs> 
Michelle Little as Rusty Mars, Lisa Blount as Miles Archer, Don Murray as Dash Hammer, George Kennedy as Spade Chandler, Norbert Weiser as Sternwood, Christian Andrews as Rick Bardo, uh, more on that name later, by the way, uh, Paul Keller Galen as Chester, and Demian Slade as Harold. I did not get a synopsis for this. I forgot to pull it, but it's essentially what it is is these these actually it's kind of follow the video game to a certain degree because these two kids are thrown into a uh, nuclear bomb shelter just before nuclear war starts and they they break out of it 15 years later after spending their lives malnourished and reading the detective novels that their quote unquote pops left for them when they abandoned them in the shelter and now they're heading out in the new world with their uh 30s or 40s style uh, detective costumes and haircuts, and they're looking to find some hot dames in this uh, uh, nuclear wasteland. (laughs) Be private eyes, and if you hadn't guessed, this is kind of a comedy and a parody of these sort of things, and uh, I'll throw it over to you first, Daniel. What what are your sort of initial thoughts on this? Sure, uh, this is the first time watch for me. I kind of, again, knew this one. Um, This one has never had a a US DVD release. Nope. Um, I mean, it's definitely better than shit that we've seen get a DVD release. So, oh yeah, it's not, I think I think it's worthy of a, of an actual DVD release at some point. Yes, but I do remember seeing it uh, in like the you know in a, in the video stores when I was a kid, you know, and just mm-hmm. never uh, actually rented it. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a Vestron video release, you know, like the Vestron was known for doing tons of these sort of low budget films for VHS right. release, and I guess the VHSs are still trading on ebay and stuff for like tons of money i I mean you know i I believe it it's it it does have that kind of cult classic quality i really enjoy the film in the first about the first half you Mm -hmm. know i think it's got a really kind of interesting sort of low budget surreal aesthetic um i kind of like that these guys are are just a couple of losers who show up who, (laughs) who you know think they're think they're tough but actually are are actually really uh they get themselves into a lot of problems and uh, don't have any way of getting out of them. I like the uh, the kind of the the interactions they have with some of the other characters in the mm-hmm. film, particularly Rusty. She's really good, but you know, you know, there are only like eight characters in the entire film, yeah. so you know, there is it does kind of have that problem. But uh, you know, you you run into like the the, the biker gang who uh, you know are all like mutants. And uh, you know they're they're all wearing wigs, and there's yeah. Like, uh, there's definitely a you know somebody saw the Road Warrior you know mm-hmm. element to this to this film you know, but it uh, it manages to be kind of better than the the really bad Road Warrior ripoffs. Mm-hmm. It manages it kind of does that for a scene and then just kind of moves on and does something else. Yeah. Once the plot kind of kicks in, I kind of find the film well. The plot doesn't really kick in. It just kind of becomes a series of music videos, you know? Yes. <laughs> Which are uh, very delightful in their own right. But um, I do I do feel like there's just a lot of stuff just kind of rammed together in this film uh, without a whole lot of uh, thought. Just sort mm-hmm. of a lot of like, oh, this will be just kind of a fun thing that we can do. I think it's enjoyable, but I don't know that I'd recommend it necessarily, you know? Okay. 
At least, you know, watching this, I mean, there's obviously a kind of a Fallout connection. Like, it's it's hard to not oh, think about the Fallout Fall- universe. Yeah, Fallout obviously ripped some stuff from this. I mean, just oh, yeah, yeah. the little uh, the little Pip Boy like things on their arms alone is is definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. a Fallout thing. There, there's a there, it's pretty clear that they did kind of like borrow quote unquote mm-hmm. certain elements uh, from this film when they were designing the original Fallout games. I really kind of wanted this to be a TV series, if that makes sense. Like, I feel yeah. like this is uh, this is the sort of thing that you know kind of seeing this kind of basic plot of these two kind of losers kind of come out and they're looking for their dads and there's this one unexploded nuclear bomb somewhere and you know that's a season of tv today and i feel like you could kind of do this and you could even do this kind of surrealistic kind of pop culture comedy thing yeah uh, unlike a like a paycheck like like hbo or something it's not hard to imagine this is sort of one of those weird tv series that just sort of finds a cult audience for a season or two and that's kind of the version that's kind of the way to approach this is oh this is the tv series that never will be you know (laughs) yeah yeah. it's funny you mentioned tv series because there is an aspect of this that kind of reminds me of the michael mann tv series crime story from the 80s it only lasted like two two seasons but there was one episode, and it's basically just this one episode that makes me think of this, where the the two main gangsters or whatever get trapped out in a nuclear testing site just as an A-bomb is dropped. And it, it just sort of has that same sort of aesthetic because, again, we're talking about Fallout here. Fallout kind of borrows the idea of it, – it's not really present in this film so much. It's just kind of uh, – slightly aesthetically borrowed but the idea of retro futurism you know where uh, everything in in the future is still modeled after like 1950s kind of stuff that's not the case in this film so much as it's much more this the the 1950s is transported into this uh, nuclear wasteland uh, via these two these two idiots coming out of the fucking vault or whatever well, but well, both of these films kind of have a, a little bit of that kind of 50s aesthetic mm-hmm. brought forward and i think that that's just a, a sort of a function of the the fallout shelter itself is such a, you know, kind of icon of this particular memory of the fifties. And so, and, and I think we kind of connect that with time capsules. So like, Oh, these guys were right. buried. And so they're just going to kind of come back and be this sort of idea of this sort of idealized fifties. Um, well, uh, wasn't there one in the two thousands with uh, Brendan Frazier and Christopher? Yeah, Walken? There's, there's, there's blast from the past, but that was yeah. like, um, you know, that the whole thing with that was like he kind of goes down, he, he kind of goes under in the, I think the late, like the early 60s, I think is the idea behind that mm-hmm. one. Um, so it's, so it's sort of a little bit, I mean, but yeah, no, the, the, that's one where they kind of play with it a little bit more like as an overt comedy. And there was the Chichin Chong movie, Rude Awakening, where these oh, yeah. two hippies kind of wake up in the late 80s. So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a ton of, yeah, I'm like the one person that remembers that film. So you know. <laughs> There's two people, apparently, that remember that two film. People, yeah. But yeah, no, there, there's a ton of, uh, you know, the, the, this idea kind of comes back. I mean, you know, yes, people kind of fish out of water, out of, out of their time in, in mm-hmm. a kind of a new world is not a new idea you know this is not yeah, something yeah. that uh, we think of as uh it's terribly original to this film and in fact the i mean just the kind of these two young boys just survive on their own in the fallout shelter for 15 years and like don't kill each other or die of some illness or something over you know mm-hmm. uh, of course it's it, you know it's not meant to be like realistic quote unquote oh yeah it's, it's, i mean because it's fif- all- uh, 15 years <laughs> and the storyline in this is Every nuclear bomb except for one was detonated. Even if there was any place habitable on the surface of the Earth after that, which 
wouldn't be the case. 15 years ain't going to clear up the radiation. You, you're going to probably die as soon as you step out of there. So, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I kind of take that kind of opening narration as a little bit more of a, uh, this is the myth that, that we're told, you know, sort of yeah. thing. I mean, you know, because we're, we're, we're kind of outside the bounds of, you know, anything resembling quote unquote civilization and for all that, you know? Yeah. I really like the characters in this. Um, although I have, I only watched this once. I have a hard time kind of differentiating between Philip and Marlo, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I know one of them is supposed to be the uh, kind of the straight laced one. And one of them is supposed to be a little bit more, you know, off the wall, but I can never remember which one is which. Philip's um, the straight man. Marlo's right. the dance. Saholic. Right. One of them does uh, close up magic, um, which uh, mm-hmm. comes out in one particular scene. I like the women in the film. I think they, they do have, you know, for, for yep. a film of this era, they do have a little bit more agency kind of interest. Um, partly because, uh, I mean, there is, you know, Miles Archer ends up being a little bit of a film fatal. Actually, they both yep. kind of get to be a little bit of a film Yeah, fatal, so. and Miles Archer, like, if uh, a more modern reading on it, she's almost a hero of this thing because she just wants to wipe out the world and start over again, apparently. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting thematically that way. There There is something kind of going on. You could kind of read her as a much more uh, interesting character, but the film kind of does nothing with it. It's just sort of kind of, that's you know. the that's I think that's the biggest problem with this is that the whole plot is actually just a shaggy dog story with a MacGuffin in it. Of the of the nuclear bomb, so it's all it is designed to is drive the plot. And when you get halfway through the film, the plot becomes a chase film. And after a while, it's it relies too much on look how wacky this world is, look how wacky these characters are, and it sort of burns out on that because there just isn't any new wackiness about halfway through the film, really. So they can't they 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 kind of blow their wad on the budget, I think, as well. mm -hmm. Like they just don't have they don't have enough people and they don't have enough set pieces. They don't have enough right. sort of like stuff they can do because I mean, again, you think about the fallout, you know, the, the video game series and there are all these like little, you know, communities where you kind of walk in and there's some story happening and some of them are funny and some of them are terrifying and some of them mm-hmm. are just really bland, you know, and it's just, it's just sort of, there's this world of, and, and it's not, I mean, that's kind of what I thought the film was going to be when I was first kind of watching it. It's like, Oh, we're right. just going to kind of wander around and we're going to have little vignettes of these two guys just kind of doing their thing. So when it does kind of, when you do kind of get the, the kind of the main plot, it does, it's a little bit of a letdown for me, but I still think it's fairly effective. Yeah. This, this feels like the more, comedic version of a boy and his dog kind of kind yeah. of idea, you know because it's, it's it's not quite as dark black comedy as a boy and his dog is i would personally recommend it because i think it's that much of an interesting oddity and i was never like bored with it i'll put i'll put it that like mm-hmm. like i was disappointed by the ending like the second half just kind of slows down quite a bit but i was never bored with it i liked it aesthetically um, I like, even though it's not necessarily my favorite type of music, I like the sort of 80s new wave soundtrack that's sort of behind it and how it does become a music video. There's like two times it becomes it, it a music literally, video. It literally just becomes a music video for, you know, for, for a good uh, chunk of the uh, What's her name? Uh, the lead singer who's most prominent on the soundtrack, Sue Sad, I think it is. The, as soon as they get to the city and they get to that club, it immediately turns into her music video where she's right in the camera, looking straight into the camera. It's like, okay, this isn't a movie anymore. This is a music video. And then it ends up with those two doing their dance routine at the end. It right. becomes another it's like video. it's like you got to get the kids involved to, by, by giving <laughs> their MTV, you know, that's, mm-hmm. the, uh, that's sort of the... The the uh, aesthetic that you that you get this, but I mean, yeah. you know, this was. I mean, I I was thinking because um, you know, we did like a Malibu bikini shop a while back, 
And that's a film that literally just has a music video just dropped into it, Mm -hmm. you know, this fantasy sequence. And I feel like that's just sort of one of those, well, we licensed this music, we've got the song. (laughs) It's almost like a time filler, but it sort of works within the film because it does seem like they just sort of wander onto a music video set from the era, you know? Um, They just got like this club they go to, like, you know, the really scary place where the cannibals are is also just a set from a 1985. (laughs) There is a little bit of like, you know, these, these kind of middle-class, you know, white boys who've been living underground and like the really scary thing is, oh my God, there are people wearing leather with piercings in their faces and ooh, Mm -hmm. isn't that horrifying, you know? So yeah, the film, again, the, I I actually don't blame the film for that. It's kind of a fun little moment. And I do kind of, you know, there is a switch like halfway through where, um, you know, these two guys, they go from being complete nincompoops to uh, kind of being badass and like yeah. mournful and meaningful. I, I mean, I understand how you can't literally just have them be fuck ups for the entire film, but that is kind of one of those things where it kind of turns on a dime and then suddenly we're on a very different kind of right. like, thematic thing. This is something that like it wouldn't get off the page today with a film like this. They mm-hmm. would, you know, they would kind of focus a little bit more on the script. I think audiences would just kind of expect a little bit more. Although, you know, some of the like direct to video shit you see now is just spats so there's no no yeah. worry about that but yeah no i don't i don't know if i've got anything more to say the child gangsters are fun oh you know? yeah the, the disco mutants the little yeah. bastards and every second word is fuck from them yeah <laughs> which which really seems like one of those i mean in the 80s that was a little bit more of a uh you know like kind of a risque thing to do you know right. it's kind of like yeah we got we got a 10 year old boy saying fuck a lot we're we're <laughs> edgy filmmakers here man <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean this ain't the I, bad news bears anymore <laughs> no fuck no so i think i like it a little bit more than you do i, I would personally slide on recommendation kind of a light recommendation but i mean if you can find it it's. I think it's worth checking out. Um, um, it but, is on Rare Lust, so you can get it that way. Rare Lust, um, yeah. Uh, if you want an actual official DVD release, there is a German region-free release, apparently. But also, it's uh, fairly prevalent, uh, not only on YouTube in a shitty version, but black market burn-on-demands. Uh, you, oh. If you search, search it out, you can find them. Um, okay. And and I mean, the print is only going to be, you know, like the highest quality VHS generation print you can find, right, for the most part. But uh, uh, they, they are out there. Um, and I think it's worth checking out. Uh, box office was apparently $220,000. So I, I bet you that's probably double or triple the budget for this film. <laughs> uh, I yeah, saw even, th- even, in, even in 85, you know, the, the, yeah. the, this, this does not look like an expensive film. You know? No, I, I saw it. I saw it listed as um, 7 million on IMDb. And that's obvious bullshit. I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's somebody just made up a number. I mean, there's no way. I mean, so, I mean, an 85, $7 million would be, you know, like high up on the, I mean, that's, that's like a hundred million dollar movie today. And there, there would have been a TV series of this. If yeah. that, had, <laughs> that had happened. The, the only interesting trivia for this actually is this movie marks the first appearance of the name brick Bardo in an Albert Payun uh, movie. Mm-hmm. It's appeared in seven of his movies. It's the name Tim Thomerson, who will be talking about in the next movie that's the name of his character in doll man i think it's doll man that's the it's either doll man or fucking Tran. no it's, it's doll man yeah trancers is jack death and albert pune went on to make some uh stuff for full moon so there's the obvious connection there as well and uh doll man and trancers are both the sort of big hits for uh full moon so uh hits yeah, yeah quote we, we've 
We've definitely got to cover a bunch of those. Um, I mean, again, I'm just looking at this list and going like, yeah, I I would almost just pick these out of randomly out of a hat mm-hmm. of the titles of these films and say, let's just do these two next week. Like it's, it just looks like a very delightful thing for you and I to get to do. Um, <laughs> this is exactly why this podcast exists is to do Albert Pion films. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pion cast. <laughs> You know, like those, uh, there's a podcast where they do like Star Wars minute by minute, where they'll do like a whole hour long podcast talking about a single minute of a Star Wars film. Oh my God. And then like do that because there's just buddies like bullshitting about it, right? That's that's the Pyung cast, right? You just start mm-hmm. with the Sword and the Sorcerer and you do like maybe not a minute at a time, but you do like five minutes at a time, but you do like an hour on that five minutes. And yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be doing the Pune cast, but I yeah, think that's we're for, that's for the that's for the hypothetical Patreon that doesn't exist premium content. <laughs> right, right. So if you could somehow like get into another dimension where we do have a Patreon going uh, and get that download feed, and you might be you might have the Pune cast on your uh, on your BlackBerry <laughs> because it'll work in that dimension. We will be doing some other Albert Pune movies, I believe. No, no doubt. Yeah, I guess we can move on now to Cherry 2000 from 1987. In the future, the world has survived. Romance has not. Right, so we'll say a dinner, complete sexual encounter, optional episode in the morning, right? I gotta run this past my own lawyer. Pleasure is strictly business. But it will be possible to have the perfect mate. A Cherry 2000. Looks great. Thanks. Thoughtful. Desirable. She'll never run out on him. Just short out. Sorry, kid. Total internal meltdown. Now you got her basic memory right here. Vocal patterns verbal, whatever, basic voice. Don't look so glum. Your chassis is out for the count, all right? You got the chip. You go in, you pick yourself out a new model. You slide it in the slot. You got yourself your girl bag in a brand new frame. Give me a call if you find a cherry. Cherry 2000. Look, my friend, you're going to be a very old man, round in the middle and bone dry before you find one of those in these parts. That's a chance I'll just have to take. Then the adventure begins. Why don't you hire a tracker to get into Zone 7? Oh, we got to policy against trackers in these parts. Nobody goes into Zone 7. They got one of the original warehouses down there. Girls stacked on the shelves like pies. I'm looking for someone to go into Zone 7. I'm E. Johnson. You're not gonna find anybody better than me, mister. I'm not a machine. Do you know where they keep these babies? We call it the graveyard. It is the worst place in the zone. Maybe I can get in there and find this thing, but I need somebody riding shotgun in order to make it out in one piece. I want you to chase those birds till they drop. If you think it's tough to meet the right people now, wait till you go looking for a Cherry 2000. Directed by Steve DeJarnett, uh, who also went on to do Miracle Mile and then a lot of TV. 
Um, Miracle Miles, another one should, we should probably do at some point. That's an interesting sci-fi film. I've uh, not seen Miracle Mile, actually. Although, yeah, we should definitely cover it. Yeah, uh, writers Lloyd Fonviel and Michael Almerida, starring Melanie Griffith as E. Edith Johnson, David Andrews as Sam Treadwell, Tim Thomerson as Lester, Pamela Gridley as Cherry 2000, Harry Carey Jr. as Snappy Tom, Ben Johnson as Six Finger Jake, <clears throat> Brian James as Stacy, Marshall Bell as Bill, Larry Fishburne in a small part as Glue Glue Lawyer, Michael C. Gwynn as Slim, and Jack Thibodeau as Stubby Man. And I didn't get a synopsis for this either, but I think it's pretty much sad sack motherfucker who has a sex bot damages his sex <laughs> so, bot. So living in a society, there's a, there's a man living in a society which is after some kind of unspecified sort of apocalypse where they mm-hmm. are literally just recycling things in this kind of world that they're bringing in from the outside. So, you know, the whole society is built around not having anything new. It's just kind of recycling stuff. This man works as some kind of executive where he wears a suit in this company that's doing this. And then he goes home every day to his lovely sex bot who has very little personality, but seems to care for him in the way that she cares for him. She is destroyed after a unfortunate dishwater incident. After some time moping around, he uh, decides to hire a tracker where he's going to go out and find a new chassis for the memory chip that he has. Mm-hmm. And um, the tracker he hires, E. Johnson, ends up being Edith Johnson, who is absolutely fucking amazing. Melanie Griffith, right. uh, you know, the, the pre-working girl Mel- Melanie Griffith uh, aesthetic with the bright shock red hair. Yeah, and um, then they go off into the desert in the uh, muscle car, have some adventures, run into some exes of Sam's for no apparent reason, and uh, kill some things. And yeah. that's the film. You know, yeah. my first question here: Why is your sex bot not waterproof? That's that's really the 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 world breaking element of this, right? Like, uh, how many fluids are going to be on and in this thing? <laughs> yeah no i mean you know like like if you're i'm i'm not i you know (laughs) i'm not an mra or a MGTOW or whatever you know and i'm not like in the market for a sex spot but i can imagine that the people who are are gonna want to at least shower with the thing right you know like it's it's you know and of course the whole point if you're a man who's going to have a sex spot is oh she also does dishes right you know so yeah and i mean the idea that you know if if she if it's this advanced, you know it can do those new room massages or whatever the fuck they are that you see on the right. porn sites. So it, it's it's involving showering, oil, and then the aftermath of all that. <laughs> so you know the 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 MRA shitheads who fantasize about the sex bot revolution making women obsolete are always very careful to say that like the sex bots must be self cleaning. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. So uh, let's let's just clarify that. You know, this film does take place in a in a post apocalyptic 2017, which feels very of the moment in this kind of weird way. Does it like, not? You know, it, it's kind of predicted some things. Strangely enough, there's something really interesting going on in this film. I I think. Um, sorry, I'm just going to kind of get into the film a little bit, if that's okay with mm-hmm. you. I mean, I grew up with this film in the sense that I had recorded it off of HBO or whatever, yeah. and uh, I was really into like any movie that was about robots. Um, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, like 
12 or 13 or whatever, you know? So I kind of watched this a bunch, but I didn't really remember it. I just kind of remembered kind of the opening and, uh, you know, the little bit of nudity and then, you know, sort of the, the so a couple of the action sequences. And uh, that I, I just kind of remembered it as being like, oh, yeah, that was really awful. Like, that was probably like a really shitty movie that I just kind of loved because <laughs> it, it had a pretty girl in it who took off her clothes and it was kind of about a robot. Right. But this is, there's something, there's some really thoughtful stuff in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's got this sort of, I don't want to say not realistic, but plausible world. Right. It doesn't really break my suspension or disbelief. The idea that, so you've got this sort of centralized place where they've kind of got enough of a uh, society that they're still sort of talking about, Oh, back in Detroit used to, doesn't, doesn't make it though they used to, they still got sort of commerce and they've got, they, they sort of built this sort of, you know, capitalist system that's just built so, around like, so it's a really weird sort of dystopia where they're kind of lying to themselves that things are still all right for the most yeah. part. They're the ones living in the ivory tower, but the rest of the world surrounding these areas that they live in, are just desolate wastelands, you know. Once he damages his super advanced sex bot, apparently this was the height of the models because when he goes uh, looking to get it repaired, the guy at the sex bot shop's like, well, we got these other newer models for you. They're not quite as advanced as the old Cherry 2000, but they'll they'll fulfill your sexual needs. Right. But he, he doesn't even want that. This guy wants this robot to be able to fawn over him and placate him and uh, be subservient to him in, in much more sophisticated ways than just uh, being a uh, rubber doll that moves, basically. Well, there's this, there's a sense that the different pleasure bots have their own personalities and have their, each model kind of does its own thing in a particular way, you know, and that that's more than like just sort of the software chip that, the, that they put in their head. Cause he has the like thing that has all her memories on it, but there's also this, you know, it's hard. The, the reference to Detroit, uh, because at one point the guy who's working at the sex spot, you know, the salesman guy, um, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, yeah, like Detroit's models, you know, the, there's a sense that like the Cherry 2000 is the old muscle car, right? The right. Detroit used to make, but now we're in the mid 80s. And everybody's just making these little like cars that look like electric razors and shit. They're all just coming <laughs> in from Japan, you know? So there's a yeah. sense that like, it's not, I don't think the implication is that they lack the ability to necessarily like kind of build sex bots as much as like the aesthetic choices of sort of the earlier years are more a- attuned to what, you know, this guy wants. And this guy is kind of old fashioned in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, they go to um, the sex club. There's this there's, there's this bar called, the, what is it, the Glue Glue Club? The Glue Club, yeah. The Glue Glue Club. So he and a couple of coworkers go out to this club. And the whole, like, it's this, you know, sexual meat market where, like, literally there are lawyers on hand. And you, like, right. negotiate your sexual experiences before you go off and God, do the deed. How fucking horrific. No wonder he turned to sex bots. I mean, that's... Well, well, and not only that, but it's, there's a line. And I was kind of rewatching the film. And there's a line where it's, oh, you don't have your, like, card up to date. So you have to have, yeah. like, a, like, a license to fuck in the society, yeah. right? And he's been, like, off on his own so long just kind of fucking a sex bot that he's not... Like, they don't... He's just, oh, I don't... I, I'm not up to date on this, you know, and it, it's, well, what are you even doing here then? I wanted to fuck you, really, but if you're not, yeah, it's, it's, you're it's, not legal. What's going it's, on? It's, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's interesting how they have the, the sort of the flirtation works at this bar too, because the girl comes up to him and she's obviously interested. So, you know, Hey, let's, let's get on to the negotiation. 
she makes this image appear in this ball or whatever of her fucking some guy beforehand. It's, well, this is how it went down with this other guy. So, you know, this is <laughs> right. part of my, this is they, part of my repertoire. Just, this is what I can do for you, you know? Yeah. And honestly, like, they're playing this off as this sort of slightly dystopian thing, but it's also like, well, there's older clarity here about what everybody expects. I mean, this is actually kind of a, you know, obviously, like, getting lawyers involved every time you want to come. It's not a, a positive that's, development. That's the, site, uh, you know? that's the, that, that goes back again to the fucking MGTOW consent nonsense. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, where, where, you know, getting her permission means, you know, getting a lawyer involved right. and signing paperwork. It seems like, in a sense, the sort of... Um, it's very honest. Well, I think about Logan's run, right? You know, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the dude can just sort of order women, you know, to just kind of come to his place. Right. And then they, you know, but... That's the Omega Man of, as well, where women yeah, yeah, yeah. are property, yeah. Well, or not the Omega Man, um, uh, Soylent Green. Soylent Green, Soylent Green, yeah. But, I mean, it's less like he's ordering a prostitute and more like he's sort of, oh, there are these just people want sex. I mean, it's like going online and being like singles in my area and then like yeah. finding and then like hooking up or whatever. That's, but uh, uh, they predicted Tinder basically, except for it's yeah. like Tinder, Tinder, Tinder is attached to this person's Pornhub site. Their right, Pornhub. right, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's in the seventies, you know, we had this idea of this sort of free love society that just kind of becomes alienating just through you know, kind of not being connected to anything or, or yeah, kind of, well, but these are all, but, these but, are all but, fucking but, yuppies, right? Right. Well, by the eighties, it becomes this, oh, and now lawyers are involved because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, just, that's just what women are like. Then yeah. You, you know, like, <laughs> so, but this is literally like three minutes of the film. We've spent longer talking about this in the film. Well, and, then, and that's the thing. This, this film puts all these interesting questions and front loads them yeah. in the film. And then it really doesn't explore them afterwards. No, no. Kind of well, drops it. Well, I think what it's trying to do, and this is what I think is interesting about it, is that it then kind of goes off. He meets E, who's mm-hmm. the tracker. Because his thing is, I want to have this experience with this person, quote unquote, this mm-hmm. Cherry 2000 model that I kind of had before. And I want to kind of go back and live in this bubble that I live in. In his terms, he sort of is, I have a personal relationship with it. And I, and again, I think of it like, you know, like the muscle car. I really yeah. want, you know, my muscle car got damaged. I can't drive it anymore, but I really like, love that thing. That's, and it that's, brought me uh, comfort, you know, that's a great, that's a great analogy there. That That's actually so true because I mean, people, dudes with muscle cars, they name their fucking cars after women. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So when he goes off, and then the idea is that outside of the society, like she's a this hunter tracker kind of you know character, mm-hmm. and um, moving outside of this, suddenly you get this like sort of larger context of what the rest of the world is like, and so she sort of represents the free spirit because you know she's yeah. got the bright red hair, so of course she's like you know the angry feminist character, right? You know, <laughs> she's not even that. She's so, she's so soft spoken. Like, no, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't mean that. I mean that like, I actually love Melanie Griffith in this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, this isn't like a great performance, but God, I just kind of love her. And it, when you understand that I saw this movie a bunch as a kid and then didn't remember it until rewatching it, it explains a lot about who I am as a person. I think, you know? And you, you know what? I forgot to mention in Radioactive Dreams, the very obvious uh, dick jokes in that one where the guy says, yeah, I'm a dancing dick. I'm a private dick. Oh, right. You need two dicks for for so much money or whatever. Big dicks, long dicks, whatever. There's and then, there's, there's kind of a homoerotic element to that, right? You know. Yeah, but in this film, there's the very obvious joke right off the bat, if, if you think about it. E. Johnson 
takes right. him out, out of the glory hole into <laughs> <laughs> out of the glue glue club, right? Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, well, there's a town called Glory Hole, so right, just, like, right. they they leave Glory Hole and go into the fucking wasteland, and <laughs> you're not you're not gonna be like having anonymous masturbatory sex any longer. Now you're coming out and you're gonna see the real world and have a real woman show you the way. Um, mm-hmm. And then we learned that this guy has military experience back yeah. in the war sort of thing. I mean, so, uh, which is, which is kind of an interesting angle that the, that like it That's... ends up there's sort of a more authentic version of this guy that maybe he's been yeah. treating. I mean, it, it makes you some of her friends and yeah, it, 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 it kind of helps you get over the fact that he's kind of a wet blanket for the first half of the film and doesn't say or do much. And then, <clears throat> that sort of starts coming out and then E. Johnson starts gaining a bit more respect for him. It's like, oh, you you fought in the border wars or whatever the fuck it was. And and yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. They're like, they meet oh, no, uh, some no, of no. her friends. I mean, we They meet these, got... what is his name? Six Finger Jake. Six Finger Jake. Yeah. Um, um, who's, cool. a, who's a great character who has a whole lot of toaster ovens, um, which is always, <laughs> always a good thing to have in your in your friend uh, who, who ends up having... Just a wall of toaster ovens. Mm, but this is this is Ben Johnson, like fucking classic air, uh, actor from the Wild Bunch, and we covered him mm-hmm. in Town the Dreaded Sundown. He was the sheriff. Yes. That. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, I didn't remember him, but I looked it up and went, "Oh, right. Okay, I have seen this guy before." I mean, it kind of the film structurally then just kind of becomes like a little bit of we go into a couple of action sequences, kind of initial action sequence with the uh, the big crane oh, and then so the car slowed down. I mean, it's obviously bullshit, but it's also like this. This is actually kind of a fun little sequence, right? You know, like yeah, the whole. Maybe it, I have positive memories of it as a kid, so well, I, no, I, I, you know, no, I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on it because I, I realize the reason it was done because it's like why not? Let's do it because it'll look cool. That was the whole decision making behind this, but it's so fucking ridiculous at the same time because, hey, the bad guys have them stuck on this big thing hanging over the fucking canyon, just fucking point your rocket launcher at the guy in the fucking crane and tell him to shut the magnet off and drop them <laughs> to their deaths, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> but but it makes for a good action scene, at least. No, it, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a, like, visually impressive, and I, and I mm-hmm. think that you know there are a lot of films of this era that use the magnetic crane to great effect. I mean, you know, a Robocop and, uh, yeah. you know... It seems like that was a big thing in movies of the 80s. I'm really surprised Fallout hasn't done this in one of their games. Honestly. Oh, yeah. I feel like... just to get to this town across this fucking desert, you have to have the, uh, the crane come over and magnetize the fucking metal... The old metal fucking phone booth or whatever, you know, right, or like the cage. Like you, then you have to, yeah. and that's like, oh, make sure you don't have any like electronics on your whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I could. Uh, we need to be writing for Fallout Five. Is yeah, you motherfuckers, hire us. Hire us. We work for cheap. I promise mm-hmm. you, we work for cheap. Um, we only want no, one of the many millions you guys make every. <laughs> 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 more patreon bonus content there um yeah. no no i so so they have this and you meet six finger jake they and then they have their long dialogue sequences mm-hmm. i mean you know, kind of longer than you would expect in a film of this kind you know which you know is is made on a small budget you know they didn't sell this based on like the interpersonal relationships between the characters no, but no. You, you get a sense of like six figure jake you get his personality kind of who he is yeah. I think the best scenes are the ones where Sam and Edith are like starting to fall for each other and, and they actually yeah. have the really intimate 
sort of dialogue stuff. And then, of course, there's uh, after Six Finger Jake is killed, where he informs Edith that he was killed. There's a good real moment there from Griffith where she's, you know, she's obviously distraught and it looks pretty realistic to me. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a brief moment where they're escaping in the airplane, but at the same time, it still works really well. Right. I mean, I think I think the performances are a little uneven even. I mean, Griffith is great, but I mean, it's obviously it's sort of the the making of this film did no favors to the actors. That's no, sort of no, 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 you know. Um, uh, and, and Thomerson steals every scene he's in. Like he just, right. I think some people kind of think of him as like a cut rate, Bruce Campbell for the most part, because he's almost exclusively just been doing B movies most of his career, right. but no, he's really good in this. And I've always, I've always I, thought I, highly of him. The thing for me is like, I see him in a movie and I know exactly. I don't, I, I don't, I never remember his name, but I know he's that guy who's in the movie yeah, but I never, I don't have like a particular role I associate with him, you know, which is to me like the mark of the great character actor. I think his biggest role might actually just be his bit part in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where uh, it's it's during the dirt race and he comes in into the bar and, and talks to Raoul Duke uh, when he's in the bar. I've seen he, Fear and Loathing in Las, Las Vegas once. Uh, yeah, yeah Ra- Raul Duke is sitting in that fucking makeshift bar at the fucking whatever 500 or whatever the fucking that race is, and he's getting ready to have a beer. And Tim Thomerson's character comes in, takes off like his gloves or something, and slaps them down on the bar, and all this fucking dirt and shit comes off the gloves into Raul Duke's beer. I'm remembering the scene as you describe it, but I don't. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's just that guy. Like, I saw a ton of 80s movies growing up in the 80s, so I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff, yeah. but I don't have any, like, particular thing. I think he's in Who's Harry Crumb, so that might be the thing, because I watched yeah, that. He is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, we get to... I'm, I'm not trying to, like, recount the whole movie. I'm just trying to, like, kind of walk through, mm-hmm. like, the experience of watching it. At this point, then, we get into, like, a little bit of a lull in the narrative where uh i'm kind of unclear they kind of get out of the they get out of the this so the pipe that they're in and they're kind of yeah. going off and they're trying to kind of find go to this place in zone seven where the cherry 2000 model is and then they get attacked and then like suddenly everything goes black and then you know sam wakes up and he's in this other he's we in- just skipped like we didn't shoot some scenes so we're just gonna justify this by <laughs> saying you know whatever yeah um, it's like uh no setup let's just go directly to the skywalker ranch which is this 1950s health club idea kind of thing almost well, you know when i was watching it when i was re-watching this i literally like stopped the film back like three minutes and rewatched it and i'm like i don't they don't justify this at all there's just no yeah. you know it's a complete break in the film where like suddenly there are people shooting at him and then like he just wakes up in this you know other which could i mean if if we if we want to be generous to the film and i do kind of want to be generous to the film it's just sort of indicative of uh you know he has some sort of memory loss, so he doesn't mm-hmm. quite remember, and so we just don't get to see it. Um, but it also does feel like they they just sort of didn't shoot some didn't shoot some shit and just like you can you know you can see why Orion Pitcher shelved this film for a couple years. Yeah, uh, yeah there are definitely just some like basic structural problems, and that's yeah. kind of the big glaring one right there. I mean, I don't expect the film to hand it to me. I mean, it's it's fine if they're if they're going for this kind of mood. But it does kind of feel like the film does kind of become something very different after that break. They kind of got to a point they didn't really know what to do after this big action scene. And then just went, well, now he's going to meet his ex and mm-hmm. her new boyfriend who has yeah. like this cult for, okay, 
I'm good with and that. That might have been interesting, too, because then maybe you would get some more insight into why he doesn't like relationships with real women, like he, why he right. retreated to this. But they never really go anywhere with it. They don't explore it. I feel like it's it's interesting how, like, she doesn't... Uh, he meets... Uh, what's the what's the ex's name? Ginger. Oh, Ginger. She changed her name to Ginger. She used to be, like, well, something right. else. It used to be something else, but, it, like, oh, I've changed my name now. And it, there is this sort of, again, this sort of idea that, well, in civilization I was this thing, but now I'm this other thing. I think there's also a sense of this is sort of one of those 60s hippie communities. Well, it is well, a cult, though. Lester is a cult leader. He is. Well, he's sort of a cult leader, but also a uh, sort of a warlord, like a, like sort yeah. of a, the the strong man, you know, kind of controlling the society by you know kind of authoritarian force. But it's very much velvet glove kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you notice, Ginger, I mean, there are like a bunch of people by the pool, a bunch of the women by the pool, and like she just goes, "Yeah, leave us alone," and they do, they scatter because like that's yep. you know big man's wife, right? You know, get the fuck out of her way. It's not like explicitly spelled out you definitely yeah they 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 never go too much into detail about it and i mean that just i think again probably speaks to structural problems of the script and everything you know it's just they didn't have the time for it or whatever Um, again again a more modern telling of this would would definitely explore that a little bit more it just feels like they didn't do a second or third draft of some of this to where they could have kind of given a little bit more meat but it kind of works as it is i think the actors sort of sort of sell it and i think ginger ginger comes across as pretty um i find her pretty sympathetic overall like i don't i don't find her to be like she never becomes a villain and i think she becomes a little bit of comic relief like with the sandwiches like kind of later on but i certainly don't think that she's a like sort of this misogynistic portrayal or like oh the woman you know like no um if if anything like I rarely do this, but if if I was to go into like the sort of more sort of feminist reading, I I assume she's just a woman who keeps being disappointed by every man she shacks up with. I mean, she she was disappointed <laughs> Which with is Sam. most women, am I right? You know, yeah, <laughs> she was disappointed with Sam. She thought she maybe found a winner with uh, Tim Thomerson with Lester, but he just and turns he, out to be a fucking up, asshole. Who ends up being best. he ends up being a psychopath who yeah. like well you know, but he's. He's in control of this little place in the desert, and like, hey, yeah. Uh, uh, but she's kind of got control of him, too. Like, she, yeah, she's kind of got him yeah. on a leash, you know? So, I mean, yeah. early on, there's a scene where they're having sex where he can't say no to her. So, she's obviously got a little bit of control over him, at least. And, yeah. and she's making sandwiches for him, you know? <laughs> and, but she, but he, she, he, she kind of resents it. He makes that comment where they're going out to hunt these, these two down. Make some sandwiches, would you? And she just kind of gives him a look like, fuck you. And then when she, whenever she's she's sitting there, like, opening up one of the sandwiches to eat them, she's kind of looking at the sandwich. kind of wish these were your balls right now. I'd be chewing them right up and spitting them out. <laughs> well, I love she keeps offering the sandwiches to him, and he keeps, like, kind of, like, putting her off. Like, he made her make the sandwiches, and then, which, again, is, like, this, like, classic MRA bullshit thing, right? right? You know? Oh, oh, and the, oh, here's here's a, here's another idea. Uh, at the very end, and, you know, spoilers for Cherry, two, for Cherry 2000. Cherry 2000, which you should see. Don't, uh... You know, stop listening, go see it, and then come back. I think I know yeah. what you're about to say. Go uh, ahead. Uh, okay, uh, so she's sitting next to Cherry 2000 at the end of the film, and she gives mm-hmm. a sandwich to Cherry 2000, and Cherry 2000 says, pretty. Do they start a lesbian romance? Oh, I wasn't even going to go there. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to go, like, this is the jilted lovers of Sam Treadwell. Kind well, of, that, like, that, you know, that too, club, but, right? I mean, you know? but I mean, you know, she maybe she'll be more satisfied with Cherry 2000. Hey, apparently it's a very convincing model. Yeah, uh, apparently so. 
um so okay i have one question for you okay this, go ahead go ahead this, this, is, this is probably the most important question that this movie never answers okay okay I'm how listening. the fuck did they get that cat into the fucking empty water jug remember at the fuck where he goes to the fucking motel thing there with the 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 oh. vaguely asian stereotype and there's that cat in the fucking eight uh 18 liter water jug sitting on the fucking counter it's just oh, there for no reason just like I... the fucking filmmakers they put these things in this film just to fuck with people i'm looking <laughs> at this cat it's a fully grown cat so they had to stuff it in there as a kitten but where does it shit where does it piss how does it eat it's just <laughs> in this plastic fucking thing and i'm like I... throughout the entire movie i'm thinking about it how the fuck did they get that cat in there and why why did they do that <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the in-universe explanation is that they're actually like a robot. It's a robot cat, right? I guess, you know? I guess, I guess this is, that's the Blade Runner ripoff where it's like a synthetic animal, right? Well, I, I, I mean, I think, of it, I mean, yeah, I was going for uh, the, the original Dick story where they had, you know, like robot animals for, you know, like people who yeah. couldn't afford real animals. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's just one of those surreal. I actually missed that entirely. So I'm going to oh, have, man, it's that, yeah. that burnt in my brain. I saw that. I was like, what the? What the fuck? And I rewound it. And I looked at it. And I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> there's a, there's a, a lot. In there. There's a lot in this film that I feel like you could rewind and watch again. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, just for just for uh, picking well, out details. Another, you know? another visual thing here that makes no sense when when they're chasing those guys when they're chasing <laughs> our two heroes in the desert, mm-hmm. and so basically this is Tim Thomerson's entire convoy. He's got a truck. And he's got his fucking uh, dune buggy or whatever leading the truck. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's his convoy. Stops the truck. Stops the dune buggy. All right, guys, let's move out. Literally 10 fucking four-wheelers come out of that fucking truck. <laughs> There's no room for those. But like, <laughs> right. 10 of them come out, and then they line up and go into what are what ends up being the fucking ruins of Las Vegas where all these fucking Cherry 2000 models <laughs> which, are. Which is really like, you know basically western town sized yeah you know, like the old like this is not the the gigantic ruins of las vegas um again another another uh if this film were remade you'd get a really cool sequence of you know they're driving through the ruins of las mm-hmm. vegas here uh we had a couple of plastic props we could throw yeah, at let's just place. say it's all buried by sand <laughs> yeah that's 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 the way it works in this in this world yeah no um you know i i, I kind of uh god where there's just so much. There's so much interesting, list like fucked up shit in this film. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I kind of. They do kinda... eventually get. They do eventually get to. Uh, so, there's a love scene, mm-hmm. which is pretty hot, actually. Uh, actually, and... Melody Griffith. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I've, I've 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 personally never seen her look better. <laughs> yeah, no, she's phenomenal. I mean, not even not even in terms of oh, she's just really hot because it's not like oh, there's nudity or whatever. No, it's her, it's, it's, it's her it's her fucking voice, man. It's, it's her, her fucking voice. voice, and she looks like she's way into it. And plus, oh, she's yeah. got, you know this warrior woman aesthetic and this kind of like you know the utility mm-hmm. belt and everything, and yep. you know the. Um, you know, sucking on her neck and stuff, exposing her shoulder is hotter than like. Oh yeah, 
you know, no, lots of other stuff I've seen in films it, like it's so it so teases because the the whole setup to that scene is he catches her or whatever and and turns her around and accidentally grabs her by the boob basically. <laughs> and, and, oh, and, well, that, that I don't think that's like quite accidental. I think that's uh, a, that's a, they they've been you know he's actively kind of reaching not quite for boob, okay, but well, like upper okay. chest and I, then, I'll, like I'll, once he's there. She's feeling it, and then they don't have a lawyer there present, but they're right. going to put it on regardless. You know what okay, I mean? I'll, I'll give you that because, yeah, first first off, they just got through a fucking fight with a, a truck coming at them, and he threw a grenade at the truck and blew it up. So he basically picks her up. Are you okay? Spins her around, grabs her by the boob. Are you okay? And then it's like, yeah, I'm okay, motherfucker. Let's get it on. This this was very clearly a consensual sexual experience. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, Melody Griffith is this is her finest performance moment in the film, and, mm-hmm. and I mean that completely unironically. Oh yeah, she's, she's very really good here. Um, you're right. She's very into it. Like it's very- at this point, she's also misleading him because she's she has the memory chip, the Cherry mm-hmm. 2000 memory chip. He believes it's been lost. But she's got it, like kind of in her in her back pocket, and right. um, clearly they're kind of into each other. But Cherry's in the middle, you know, sort of thing. It's not quite clear. Kind of, there's a little bit of a love triangle with his sex spot, which is kind yeah. of a weird thing. But it's because he's kind of emotionally connected to that, to that life that he used to have, to that life, or that he still has that he's kind of going back to. But she's kind of misleading him and not telling him, oh, I've got this thing, but it gets cause she's kind of into him and she's kind of uh, misleading him. And, and he's not entirely like just being a dick at this point. Right. You right. Know? And she's disciplined enough where she's, she's allowing for the possibility that she'll have to resign herself to still just being a contracted uh, employee of his and, and right. getting the job done. And then of course, also she just wants to make six fingers death worthwhile at the same right, time. right 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 yeah so. definitely definitely but yeah no they have they have the love scene and then they kind of he finds out oh the cherry disc still exists and they're kind of going to get it and uh they find cherry and she's exactly as the plastic woman that he always liked before but now he's had a more authentic experience and uh that's not the same thing anymore you know mm-hmm. um I do kind of love the performance that Pamela Gidley gives as Cherry in that uh, action scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, pretty. Oh, and then she's, come on, Cherry, let's go. She slides in the pole. Whee! She's like every MRA's fantasy of what a woman would be. Right. You know? But uh, that's kind of that's kind of horrifying. But, you know, she's, I mean, the actress gives it her all. And oh, I think it's, uh, it's convincing as this kind of robotic character. And that, then, that moment uh, where that moment where uh, they're being they're under fire and he mm-hmm. sits up and she pats dust off the back of his fucking coat. Like, that's a nice <laughs> little brilliant moment. I love that. No, there's a and there's a lot of stuff like that. Just like the way she climbs the ladders where she's like, oh, I'm just going like, to climb the ladder. Yeah. It's like, no, we got to we got to get gotta the move. out of here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Melanie Griffith is great. I mean, just because she's completely uh, on board with. All right, this is you're the shithead I always thought you were go and take your sex butt fucker, but also like, you know, putting up with his bullshit at this point. Yeah. Um, and then like, he decides, I mean, he actually does the shitty thing of just like going like, yeah, well the sex bot, I'm just going to leave the sex bot behind and, and take mm-hmm. uh, Melanie Griffith with me and take, take E with me. And they kind of fly off into the sunset and apparently go and have a, a thousand babies together because right. they're going to fuck so hardcore. There's also this sense of we, I mean, we don't really get a sense of exactly how like intelligent these 
bots are, you know? Yeah. And he put this bot with this entire, you know, memory of the relationship they had and then just like left her there, you know, <laughs> with yeah, all the resources um... that a small child would have. And my God, that's a, I mean, that's a really shitty thing to do, you know? Right. Um, have you seen the new Blade Runner yet? I have not seen the new one yet, no. Okay, um... But AI, you know, when, when, uh, they stick, uh, Haley Joel Osment, you know, Monica Potter sticks him out in the forest, that's, that's the level of what, you know, he's done to this sex bot yeah, at this point. Yeah, and you know? there's, there's a, there's a really interesting conversation brought up by the new Blade Runner film surrounding the idea of sort of robotic AI sex mate kind of thing although in in this case it's a holographic one instead of a, a physical being sure, yeah. um but there's still a really interesting conversation explored in that film which i think is very worthwhile talking about that this film just really never picks up i, I again well, it kind of drops if, that, what, right? if what you're saying is you want to do blade runner and blade runner 2049 in the next episode i'm okay with that Oh Jesus! Uh, we'd have to prepare a while for that. I think <laughs> I, okay. I, I don't think I could do that. If you want to round out this series, doing Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I'd be down for that. Okay, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Because we've discussed the original Blade Runner briefly on this show, mm-hmm. and I'm not that much of a fan. And um, I would love to get the hate mail on that. But um, and, and I will, I will say, I think uh, the new one's a better movie. Uh, from everything I've heard, that's true. Yeah. No, I think it's a way better movie. But no, no, so Cherry 2000 ends up with hanging out with his ex. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like the Jilted Lovers. Like he, he fucked both of you over. And, uh, you know, 10 years from now, Melanie Griffith's going to be sitting right there eating sandwiches and being like, this guy is a shithead. He's not that great, but he's cute. And I fucked him and he saved me from the grenade that one time. You know, that's yeah. Some of yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> And poor Tim Thomerson, he gets he gets a glorious death at the end of it too. He does get he does get he gets he does the climbing killer thing too, right? Because yeah. he like fall and then he's like doing the like I'm gonna. It's, it's another inex- it's another inexplicable thing. Why the fuck would you lasso an airplane? Just no, don't do it. <laughs> it makes no sense. Don't do it. It's 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 an eighties action movie you know nothing nothing yeah. nothing makes sense it's it's i, I, I also want to mention out. uh robert robert zadar is also in this film he is in this film yeah and um the guy i i don't have his name but the guy one of the guys from blade runner is in this film oh really yeah uh one of the replicants from blade runner is uh, oh yeah Bar- yeah brian james yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's he's the guy who looks like uh, Wild Bill Hickok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, know, I didn't know his name, but I'm like, oh yeah, like I was I'm looking at him in this film, going like, I know that face from somewhere, and going like, I, I, lo- I love that little that. moment too, where they where they stick up Sam and the, his buddy's behind him, and he's all right, drop your gun, and his buddy drops his fucking gun. Not you, idiot! Jesus Christ! <laughs> so this film didn't do. I mean, the studio did not know what to fuck to do with this thing. No. Right. Um, and it's probably because it's way ahead of its time because it's kind of doing a Western. It's kind of half Western and half, well, sci-fi, you know, it's yeah, sort, yeah, of, yeah. sort of kind of doing both of that. There's a little bit of cyberpunk and a whole bunch of uh, just satire. And, and I mean, it's, it's very eighties in that way. I, I feel like, you know, again, like 10 years later, this film would have 
really kind of become stuff that people remembered. I feel like a lot of people do remember it though, because yeah, yeah. It, it I mean, this actually has a, a like a DVD and Blu-ray release, which yeah, I found out just actually, not. it's had several DVD releases. Like MGM has kept this alive for years in yeah. DVD releases. The theatrical release was very disappointing, but. This shit was on cable TV for years. I always... It it was one of those films where it felt like you couldn't go a Saturday without seeing it on a TV channel somewhere, like A&E or something like that would be playing it, right? See, I don't remember it being quite that ubiquitous. I just remember, like, I had it on... I had a recording on VHS off of HBO. It had to have been HBO for for that time period. I remember it just being, like, something I knew of, but I didn't remember, like, seeing it on TV a bunch, but it might be just one where... I don't remember because I knew I had the, the VHS to watch whenever yeah. I wanted. So for, for me, I this was you know. For, for me, this was always on TV. I, I don't know specifically was if it was A and E. I'm I'm trying to. This also might be a Canadian rights experience versus an American could be, rights could experience. Could be, right? could be, could be because yeah, I'm I'm trying to clarify in my mind exactly what I saw in A and E because I'm trying to eventually either like do a podcast episode by myself or write a essay on just all the stuff I used to watch on A&E and how it sort of informed me on, on genre movies and what I liked <laughs> and what I watched. But it was either A&E that I saw this all the time or it was TBS and mm-hmm. stations like that that just sort of picked up movies on the cheap and, and, and showed them all the time. <laughs> right. So, I mean... I, I mean, I, I know TBS did that. I just don't remember this being one of those films. But I could completely just, if not, you know... Right. It could have existed and I just didn't know that that was the thing. You know, I just don't remember it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, but, but yeah, uh, no, I I think this is a I think this is a legitimately good film. And I, I do. Wasn't um, and actually, uh, this conversation with you made me enjoy it a lot more. Actually, yeah. <laughs> like I, I I rewatched this and um, enjoyed it quite a bit. And just being able to talk about it actually made me think a bit more highly of it. So, uh, I'm I'm seriously considering buying the Blu-ray just to see if there are like kind of cool special features or whatever. On it, I, th- I um, think I think there are I think there are some good stuff on it because it's uh and and I'll get into those releases uh, here in a second. But budget for sorry, this I'm not was, trying to make you wrap up. I'm just no no no. I know I know. Uh, budget was ten million. Box office for it was fourteen thousand. Whoa, I, that's that's well, but they didn't. They the the studio. Uh, this was made in eighty five and released yeah. in eighty seven. Yeah, they did. It, they did like a brief theatrical run because they. For contractual reasons, they have to show it in like two I theaters or whatever, think, you know. Yeah, and I think they only released it in like Europe or something for a while too. It, w- it wasn't like a year until like a year later where they actually released it somewhere else too. So it was like, yeah, very small release. Yeah, I mean, wow. but but I mean, the point being that a box office release for this is not really the studio just buried it. Basically, I mean, for for anyone who doesn't know, I assume you do, but any listener who doesn't know. When films do this, oh, it was released in two theaters for a week, it's because they have a contractual obligation with one of the stars or something, or right. the director, to actually do some kind of theatrical release, quote-unquote. And so they basically go, we have to throw, like, ten grand behind printing two prints of this and, like, putting it in two theaters, and then we're yeah. done. We don't, you know. So, yes, it has, you know, there's actually a film that made, literally sold four tickets in its entire run. It made $25, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's the lowest grossing film of all time, but it's because, like, it literally showed in one theater for, like, one night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So DVD info for this, MGM, their Movie Time series in 2001 is probably the best release if you want to just get standard DVD release of this, but the version that you and I both watched is a rip from the Kino Lober Blu-ray from 2015. Yeah. 
which is immaculate looking. It looks really fucking oh, great. It's gorgeous. If if we if if I had watched a this high quality version of Radioactive Dreams, I think I might bump up Radioactive Dreams a little bit in my yeah, because Radioactive Dreams really does need a DVD. The version, the version we're looking remaster. at looks like shit. You know? Yeah, it, it it's too dark. It needs a DVD remaster. But yeah, a little on the release here. Filmed in '85, as you said, slated for release in '86 by Orion Pictures. Due to reasons unknown, this never materialized. The film would make its American debut in 88 on Orion Home Video. So it didn't even get a U.S. theatrical release. And it, and it only got a release because it was capitalizing on the fact that Melanie Griffith was in Working Girl in 88. Mm-hmm. So that that's how that happened. And also, um, note on the soundtrack here, it's, it's widely known for the uh, Basil Poldaris uh, score, which is pretty fucking great i think and but the soundtrack album that was prepared for the release was canceled and then there was it was picked up by verise saraband which is a, a label and they they released it but like incorrect track titles and incorrect times and stuff and then eventually again it was really released in 2004 alongside no man's land it was like a double feature track thing for uh basil poldoris's two two different films he scored uh in 2004 from uh, prometheus records so if you want to pick that up that's also really good stuff so there you go yeah no the the the, the score is actually one of the uh better qualities of this film um definitely worth checking out both yeah. of these films kind of have i mean it's very 80s kind of music uh, right. styling both of these films kind of uh Worth calling out the music as as kind of its own thing that's kind of worth remembering, even aside from the films. Although, you know, sure, two thousand is kind of worth seeking out for yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so um, I think we both have pretty high recommendations for Cherry Two Thousand. I have a bit of a recommendation for Radioactive Dreams. You kind of, I think, I think overall, you and I feel very similarly about Radioactive Dreams. Yeah. and I'm just kind of on the like, yeah, I just, I don't know, I just, it's great for 35 minutes, and then you just turn it off. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's sort of, you know, if you listen to this and you really liked Cherry 2000, and you're like, oh, what else should I watch uh, alongside that? Yeah, radio worth checking out. You know, and. There's no legal way to get it, except for I guess you can buy one of the the VHSs. So don't feel bad about doing the rare lust thing and just, yeah, just rare it, lust, you know? man. That is our rare lust is our gateway to a lot of awesome shit. So uh, <laughs> a lot of awesome stuff and a lot of like, what the fuck did I just watch stuff? So yeah. you know, like, it's a it's a it's a great resource. Check it out. Um, but yeah, no, I would not recommend Radioactive Dreams if that makes sense. I wouldn't say don't. Okay. Watch. I'm just kind of more like, well, I think it's kind of a mess. I think it's kind of all over the place that i don't know that like you're gonna get the pleasures out of it that you would you know i don't know that it's sort of weird enough to sort of justify the oh i'm gonna sit with a beer and uh you know just kind of watch it and and kind of enjoy the weird cavalcade of imagery i don't don't know that it justifies that you know i'll 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 throw it out to to listeners um if you like boy and his dog if you like uh hell comes to frog town you'll probably like radioactive dreams so it'll be worth a watch for you I'll, I'll throw that out there. But yeah, uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing next week, or next episode at the very least, depending on whenever we do it. Well, we'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll let you guys know. Uh, we'll chat about it after we're, when we're not on mic anymore, and then fig- and then we'll tell you. And, and the Facebook group, they must yeah. be just right on the site. On, on Facebook. Facebook, the best way to get a hold of us, despite the fact that I'm not really on Facebook very much anymore. And my life is so much better not being on Facebook anymore. Yeah, um, it's, it's I recommend it to everyone, except... 
to go visit our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site. Yeah, you and, should uh, stay off everywhere else on Facebook. Just go to our fucking group. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. just go check out our thing with seventy seven members, and you'll be exactly. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's it. yeah, all the members you can handle. Um, <clears throat> but Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? Best thing to do is to uh, go check me out on uh, Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. I am on Twitter, although I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter and more time doing producing content some writing and some podcasting. I'm trying to get back into podcasting more regularly, but you know, that hasn't happened yet. So I'm not going to plug that, but I will plug the, uh, the main podcast or sort of the thing that I've been doing most often lately is the wrong with authority podcast, which is a move, uh, a podcast about movies, about history and the history they're about. Um, and I do that with uh, three people who have been on this podcast before, all of whom live uh, in Britain. And mm-hmm. uh, you should go check it out. There's some, I mean, I, that's a, there's some really fun stuff on that show. We go deep on some of it and then we just kind of goof off a lot. Um, so yeah. go check it out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can and find we've us... got some like sub threads. We've done some like, uh, we're doing like sub thread on that called Consider the Reagan, where we're talking right. about movies from the 80s. Um, and we did Back to the Future. We haven't done another episode of that. Um, it's really difficult to get the four of us together to actually record something, which is kind of the problem. But um, there's some there's some good stuff on that feed. So if you're a first time listener, and I can't imagine anyone actually is a first time listener to this podcast, but if you are, go check that out. Yeah. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our links to Facebook, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and of course, join our Facebook group yet again best place to get in contact with us and find out what's coming out in the uh, program. And until then, uh, we'll bid you adieu. Thank you very much for joining me, Daniel. And uh, thank you all for fucking listening. Cheers. Cheers.
to, they must be destroyed on sight. For more episodes, links to our Apple Podcast site, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as other websites and podcasts of similar interest, please visit us at tmbtos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. Filth.